Let me begin this sermon by a famous quote from a famous theologian. He says this, Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Master Yoda. Now, fear is a very strong emotion. And just like most people, Master Yoda sees fear as a negative thing to be avoided at all costs. Now, while it's true that people today live healthier lives and are safer than ever before in history, it's interesting to note that our culture is more fearful than ever before. Our culture is fearful of pandemics, fearful that climate change will doom our civilization, fearful of mass shootings, fearful that government will take away all of our freedoms, fearful that our economy will collapse. And we as Christians, we are not immune to this tendency of fear. We are fearful about the future, fearful about our health, fearful if we'll be able to pay the bills, fearful if our marriage will persevere through difficult seasons. And sometimes our fears can consume our thoughts and produce all sorts of anxieties in our lives. And left unchecked, these fears become so paralyzing that they consume all of our thoughts, keeping us from living in the joy and peace that God has for us. Now, if you're familiar with uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's famous line from his first inaugural address as president, he said, the only thing to fear is fear itself. Fear, in his mind, is seen as such a negative concept that it must be avoided at all costs. But in our text this morning, we are going to learn that there is a type of fear that is not a negative thing. And we'll see that the only thing that we should fear is God himself. And how fearing God is the key to not fearing anything else in this life. If you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We'll continue our series there. We'll be in chapter 1, verse 7. Now, this verse is an excellent summary of the entire book of Proverbs, and it is so important that we're going to take an entire sermon to understand its meaning and application for our lives. The text says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Solomon here says that if you want knowledge, if you want to know anything about God, about man, about the meaning and purpose of life, you must begin with the fear of the Lord. Last week, we heard the voice of Lady Wisdom, who warned us about not being a fool. And here's how she warned us. Because they hated knowledge, talking about fools, and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way, and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away 
and the complacency of fools destroys them. So Lady Wisdom tells us that a fool is one who does not choose to fear the Lord, and the end of such a person is destruction. So we would do well to consider what God's Word teaches us about the fear of the Lord. So I have three points this morning, and they're in the form of questions. First, should we fear the Lord? Second, what is the fear of the Lord? And third, how can we grow in the fear of the Lord? So first, why should we fear the Lord? And the simple answer is that both the Old and New Testaments command and commend the fear of the Lord. Let's look at a few examples to help us be convinced of this reality. And, and the reason I want to take time to do this is oftentimes we think that fearing God is kind of an Old Testament concept tied, for, tied to this wrathful, vengeful God. But once Jesus comes into this picture, Jesus, gentle and lowly, merciful and gracious, that there is no need to fear the Lord any longer. Now, I want to submit to you that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, as you know, and the command to fear the Lord is binding on Christians today. Let's first look at a few Old Testament examples. And there's many people in the Old Testament who were commended for being men who feared God. Here's what God says about Job to Satan. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, blameless and upright man, who fears the Lord and turns away from evil. Again, when Pharaoh was threatened by the growing Hebrew population, he commanded all the newborn male sons to be killed. But the midwives, it says in Exodus, the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. In the book of Deuteronomy, after the law was given to Moses, here's what God says. Gather the people to me and let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on this earth and that they may teach their children also. Later, the Lord tells Moses after they heard the words from God's law, God says, oh, that they had such a heart as this, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Now, these are just a few of hundreds of examples in the Old Testament of fearing the Lord. Now, let's move to the New Testament and clear up any misunderstanding that the fear of the Lord is something that's just relegated to the Old Testament. Luke records these words from Mary uh, as she bursts out in praise at the news that she is going to bear a child who is going to be the Savior of the world. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. In Luke's second account in Acts, he tells us that the fear of the Lord was a mark of the growing church. Acts 9. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up, 
and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. We also have several examples in the epistles. Paul says to the Corinthian church, after reminding them of the promises of God in the gospel, he says this, 1 Corinthians 7, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. In Colossians, Paul urges bondservants to obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Not just Paul, but Peter commands us to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And finally, in the book of Revelation, Then I saw, John, in his vision, I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. He said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of judgment has come and worship him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. The eternal gospel demands a response. The angel is proclaiming that the right response to the good news of Jesus Christ is to fear God and to give him glory. The consequence of not listening is judgment. So I hope this quick overview through the Bible gives you confidence that the fear of the Lord is commanded and commended in both the Old and New Testaments, and therefore it is commanded and commended for our lives today. But what does it mean to fear the Lord? The second point, what is the fear of the Lord? Now, there's two senses in which fearing God is used in the Bible. We can call the first terror fear, and the second awe fear. Now, let's look at each in turn. Terror, terror, fear, I'll define it this way. It produces a sense of dread in an unforgiven sinner before a holy and righteous God that leads that sinner to hiding from God. Now, this is a type of fear that recognizes the holiness of God, God who is righteous and just, the one to whom we owe our perfect obedience because he created us, but also recognizes that we have sinned against this holy God and deserve his judgment. Now let's look at a few examples in Scripture of what this type of fear looks like. After Adam sinned in the garden, God came looking for him and listened to how Adam responds. And he said, I heard the sound of you, talking about God, in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So when, God, when Adam considered God's holiness and his sinfulness, he was afraid. He was terrified, and it led to him hiding from God for fear of judgment. 
Now this instinct to, to hide from God comes because of the awareness that God is a just judge and he will bring his just judgment on anyone who opposes him. So the question is, should a person be afraid of God? Well, the Bible tells us it is foolishness not to be afraid of God when there is reason to be afraid of God. When sin has not been forgiven, there should be fear and terror. Here is what Jesus says. I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body, talking about people, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Brothers and sisters, God is very dangerous to a sinful people. If you have not repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, there is a very real reason you should be terrified of God. And if you are not trembling yet, there will be a day when you stand before him. Actually, you will not stand. You will bow before him and shake in uncontrollable fear. Now, for those who are in Christ, we have no need to be terrified of God because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When Scripture tells us that perfect love casts out all fear, it's talking about the terror fear of God, the fear of judgment that is no longer upon Christians. So what does it mean for a Christian to fear the Lord? Well, if it's not referring to terror fear, it's referring to something we could call awe fear. Now, awe fear, I'll define it this way, it produces a joyful trembling in a forgiven sinner before a holy and righteous God that leads us to drawing near to God in wholehearted devotion. So it's a sense of joyful trembling that a forgiven sinner experiences before a holy and righteous God that leads us to drawing near to God in wholehearted devotion. Now, awe fear does include an awareness of terror fear, but it's coupled with the assurance of God's mercy and grace towards us in Christ. So terror fear alone says, I know that God could destroy me. But awe fear says, I know that God could destroy me, but he won't. But he won't. All fear causes us not only to see God's holiness and our sinfulness, but it draws us towards God to see his mercy and grace. Lest you think I'm kind of making up this convenient distinction in fearing God to kind of ease our conscience, uh, let's consider a verse that captures both aspects of what it means to fear the Lord. Exodus 20, 18 through 21. Now, this is during the giving of the law to Moses and the people of Israel. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain spoken, the people were afraid and trembled. Terror, fear. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us, lest we 
die, terrified of God. But here's what Moses says to the people. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So the people were terrified of God's presence. And Moses says, don't fear God so that you can fear him. Doesn't that sound a bit contradictory? Well, it's not. He's saying, do not terror fear God. Instead, be in awe fear of God. Here's how the psalmist captures both these fears as well. Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be feared. If God marked iniquities, there would only be dread and terror. None could stand in his presence. But when God forgives sin, there is wonder and awe, adoration, and worship, awe, fear. Rick Collins has this really helpful quote for me. He says this, The fear of the Lord is considering God as dangerous when sin is present and awesome when sin is forgiven. Who is like our God, as we sang earlier? The one who could crush us for our sins, but instead chooses to have mercy on us. Oh. Now, this offer produces two things in us, as I mentioned in my definition. Uh, joyful trembling and wholehearted devotion. Joyful trembling and wholehearted devotion devotion. Now, joyful trembling, this might seem contradictory, uh, because how can joy and fear coexist? Well, let me tell you, for a Christian, joy and fear must coexist. Let's look at a couple of examples from Scripture. Uh, Nehemiah prayed for God's blessing as he planned to seek the favor of the king of Persia uh, to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and its walls after exile. And here's what he prays to God. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. Do you see that? Delight and fear, joy and trembling. Nehemiah was a man who delight, rejoiced in fearing God. Now, this is a response that, that's birthed from a confidence in knowing that he's a forgiven sinner who can boldly come before the throne of Almighty God. There is no fear of judgment, but he has confidence that God will hear his prayers. Psalm 2.11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Again, the coexistence of joy with fear and trembling. The sense of fearful adoration, this shaking wonder at God who is merciful and gracious to wicked sinners. 
Now, this joy that I'm talking about, it's different than the joy that comes from eating your favorite food or the joy that comes from enjoying relationships with one another because there is no trembling with that kind of joy. (laughs) Now, this joy that comes with those who fear God, it is a trembling joy because it's filled with wonder and awe at the God who rescues his enemies. John Piper has this really helpful picture for me that captures this so so well. He says, there is a real trembling for the saints. But it is a trembling one feels in the arms of a father who has plucked his child from the undertow of the ocean. Can you picture this? The child who is under God's judgment, in danger of being swept away into the ocean, is rescued into the safe hands of the Father, the same loving Father. Joy because this child is safe and trembling because he knows what he has been saved from. The second thing the fear of the Lord, all fear of the Lord produces in us is wholehearted devotion. Now, the fear of the Lord doesn't only affect our emotions, but it compels our actions. Specifically, it compels us to obey God's commandments and turn away from sin. Now, there's tons of verses that draw a very close correlation between fearing the Lord and hating sin. Here, here's just a couple of examples. Proverbs 8 to 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Now, just as a point of application, it's possible that sometimes we do not overcome sin in our life because we don't have a deep fear of the Lord. We do not hate evil and we do not hate our own sin. In fact, sometimes we're too cozy and comfortable with the sin that remains in our lives. So let me encourage you, pray and ask the Lord, Lord, help me fear you that I might see my sin for what it is, rebellion against you, wicked, and help me turn away from it. Proverbs 16.6 says this, by steadfast love and faithful iniquity, And faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns from evil. By the fear of the Lord. So so what I want you to see here is that the fear of the Lord motivates our obedience so that we have a wholehearted devotion to God, submitting to Him in all areas of our lives. Now let's look at a very practical example from the life of Nehemiah, and you can multiply this to thousands of examples in your own life. Nehemiah 5.15 says this, The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of the Lord. When the fear of the Lord is a governing reality in our lives, we realize that we are accountable to God, even when no one is watching. And that causes us to choose the path of obedience, the path of righteousness. So when we fear the Lord, and when it is a governing reality in our lives, we respond with joyful trembling and 
wholehearted devotion and obedience to God. But how does God respond to us fearing Him? Well, there are an infinite amount of blessings that await those who fear the Lord. And kids, if you have not been paying attention, these are my four points that I'm going to give you right now. Okay, let me just highlight four. I, there were hundreds of options available, but let me just highlight four that are pretty important. This is how God responds to those who fear Him. First, God responds by forgiving our sins. Psalm 103.8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so is his steadfast love towards those that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. What an amazing blessing for those who fear the Lord. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He removes all of our sins, and his mercy will outlast all of our sins. The second thing God does is he responds by becoming our refuge. He responds by becoming our refuge. Proverbs 14, 26, In the fear of the Lord one has confidence, and his children will have refuge. The one from whom we once fled. We were enemies of God. And he has now become our refuge, our help, our shield. As Paula was alluding to earlier, there are so many fears that cripple and paralyze us in the world around us. In the midst of all of that, God promises to be our safe refuge. So just as a point of application, what is the fear in your life that is causing anxiety? Could be something in your own life, your family, or even the culture around us. The fear of God removes the fear of everything else in our lives because God has become our refuge, our strong confidence. Thirdly, God responds by faithfully providing. Those who fear the Lord have all their needs met. Okay, listen to me. Those who fear the Lord have all their needs met. I know that sounds crazy. Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 34, 8 to 10. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Why? For those who fear him have no lack. Young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, I know there are many things that we think we need. But what you truly need, God faithfully provides. Sometimes what we need is not what we ask for, but He knows what we need, and He is faithful to provide. 
Spurgeon has this wonderful quote. He says, remember this, had any, uh, think of your difficult circumstance right now, just whatever is just bothering the heck out of you. Listen to Spurgeon here. He says, if any other condition had been better for you than in the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. I know that is really hard to grasp. But the deepest sorrows and sufferings in your life, God has purposed for your good and for his glory. How do I know that? Psalm 33, 18 says this, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, who hope in his steadfast love. He has not forgotten you. Those of you who fear the Lord, you draw the very eyes of God toward your need and your circumstances, ensuring that the Lord will faithfully provide exactly what you need. He cannot forget you. He cannot abandon you. For those who fear his name, it is not possible. God is faithful. Finally, and I think climactically, God responds to those who fear him by offering his friendship. Psalm 25, 14 says this. The friendship the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. How is this even possible? How can a mere man, sinful man, be friends with a holy and transcendent God? We were his enemies, and now he calls us his friends. This is an unthinkable blessing. Doesn't this cause you to rejoice and tremble? He offers us the most ultimate and intimate form of relationship, friendship with God. This is ultimately staggering. All right, let me just Move to our third point. How can we grow in fearing the Lord? How can we go? Let me just give you three ways, three things that we can do to grow in fearing the Lord. First, we grow in fearing the Lord by the help of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is not only the one who initially causes us to fear the Lord, to, to turn from our sin, to, to trust in Christ, but apart from Him, we cannot grow in fearing the Lord. We need the help of the Spirit to open our eyes to see God's glory and majesty. We need the help of the Spirit to see our sinfulness. And we need the help of the Spirit to be in wonder and awe the God who saves us. So pray that the Holy Spirit would produce a deepening fear of the Lord in your life. Second, um, and this is related to the first, we grow in fearing the Lord by hearing 
and obeying his words. By hearing and obeying his words. We read this earlier. Deuteronomy 4.10 says this. How on the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, and the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that they may hear my words. Why? So that they may learn to fear me. You see that relationship between hearing God's word and learning to fear God? All the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. First, notice a couple of things. Just leave that verse up for a little while. Uh, notice a couple of things here. The fear of the Lord is something that we can learn, okay? It is a process, something we grow in throughout our Christian lives. The fear of the Lord is given to us as a gift in seed form when we uh, trust in Christ, but the seed must be watered and cultivated, and it is something that must grow throughout our lives. And how can we grow? How can we learn? This verse tells us, let them hear my words. We must hear the words of God that he has revealed to us in his word. We must deepen our wonder and awe at God as we behold him in the scriptures. And we must deepen our affection for God in light of what he has revealed to us. Only then that will lead us to obedience to God. Now this verse goes on to tell us that we learn the fear of God, just leave that verse up, so that we can teach our children to fear the Lord. I was so tempted to not do the kids' moment this morning because it's such a hard concept to, to relay, but, but then I'm preaching this, I'm like, man, we are supposed to teach our children the fear of the Lord. <laughs> Parents, especially fathers this morning, let me, let me encourage you. We are to help our children cultivate the fear of the Lord. And we do this not by just getting them to obey us, but to teach them why they are to obey and ultimately whom they are to obey. So parents, let me encourage you. Fathers, pray that the Lord causes our children to fear the Lord. Pray that over them. And parents of teenagers, pray that the Lord would put the fear of God in your children instead of fearing what their friends might think of them, which will ultimately lead to destruction. Now, when I look around the room, I do see so many fathers. And on this Father's Day, I am thankful that many of you fathers have done just that, faithfully persevering little by little through many difficult seasons teaching our children to fear the Lord. So thank you for your example to me, and I just pray that that grace may abound in you, and that would be reflected in generations to come, as the Lord promises in this passage. All right, finally, third thing. We grow in the fear of the Lord by looking to Jesus as our example, and this is, this is pretty cool. So listen to this from Isaiah chapter 2, chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. This is the promise of the Messiah that Isaiah prophesies about. He says this, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, talking about the Messiah, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. 
Isn't that amazing? Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, fully God from all eternity in the fullness of time, takes on flesh. And as a man, he is filled with the Spirit to fear the Lord. And Isaiah tells us that it was his joy, it was his delight to fear his Father. Isn't that crazy? Jesus is rejoicing in fearing his Father. Awe, wonder. So Christians, when we come to rightly fear God, we are coming to share in Jesus' own enjoyment of his Father. What a privilege we get to share with Christ himself. Now the book of Proverbs emphasizes the theme of the fear of the Lord 14 times. So we'll, 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 we'll flesh this out more the rest of the summer, more practically, and next summer as well. But let me tell you, this one single verse is the foundation for all the wisdom that is revealed in the book of Proverbs. If you take this one theme out of Proverbs, Proverbs just becomes a secular book with just a bunch of nice sayings that you hear in our culture sometimes. But brothers and sisters, let us be a people who are marked by the fear of the Lord, who love the fear of the Lord, who rejoice in the fear of the Lord so that we can know him more intimately and follow him more faithfully.